Welcome to Ben Navarra's podcast with your host, Ben Navarra's. Howdy and welcome back to the Ben Navarra's podcast. Today we have Mike Tashir on. Mike, did I say that correctly? Yeah. Nice. Um, so Mike is, I think the first question I have for you, um, I mean, I, people, I don't know if people know who you are, but they'll kind of get to know who you are as we kind of go and go through this. But um, Mike's very popular in the powerlifting community. And the first thing that I wanted to ask was bringing RPE into the powerlifting world like it seems so simple, right? We it seems like a an easy one out of ten idea, but you're the first guy to do that. I mean, how was that transition and and bring it into powerlifting? I mean, I guess first off, I gotta admit that, um, like I get credit for bringing it into powerlifting, and as far as I know, I'm the first guy to to do that. Uh, and that comes with uh, these days as well, like some street cred, which is nice. Um, but I've got to admit, like, sometimes I wonder, like, if I never got into powerlifting, like, surely somebody else would have figured this out, right? <laughs> like, I mean, would we have ended up in a in a much different place? I mean, I can't imagine that, you know, the it, it's just that rare of an idea sometimes. But, um, yeah, it was... Whether it- it, whether it be that rare or of an idea or not, you're the you're the guy who who brought it in. I think it's it yeah. seems like a logical, sound approach that someone would have come up with at some point, right? I think so, um, surely. <laughs> but at the same time, they hadn't at that point, and powerlifting had right. been around for at least a little bit by the time you introduced right. it. So yeah. you know, who knows? It's it's interesting sometimes being like being that guy, but. Uh, um, I mean, overall, like I'm happy that it happened the way that it did. It's been a it's been a really fun career <laughs> up to this point, and a lot of it, you know, launched because of that. You seem like you have a a wild career. I mean, first gold <laughs> medal, and I mean your your experience in, in powerlifting just seems so vast. Why, why did you choose to get into powerlifting? What what is your origin story, if you will? I guess you could say, I mean, I don't know, is it cliche to say powerlifting chose me? Because uh, it kind of feels like that sometimes. Um, I have always been kind of interested in being a, a strong person. Like even when I was a kid, uh, I was doing like push-ups and sit-ups and stuff like that. I was just interested in physical things. And um, when I got old enough to... Uh, to start training with weights that seemed interesting and uh, I found out pretty early on I, I was good at it I would say I uh, benched 60 kilos you know, 135 pounds um, within I don't know it's, it's kind of hard to say right because I did have the, the body weight training background and I was kind of a heavy kid so body weight training was heavier <laughs> yeah and then uh I got involved with the like the junior high school weightlifting club, which would meet like once a month. And I think it was like in our second meeting, you know, I benched 60 kilos. 
so, and I mean, there was more than other kids my age. And so I, I knew right away, like, oh, hey, I'm good at this and got interested in it. Uh, we, this was like in the mid to late 90s. So like we didn't have internet at home yet. Uh, and it just wasn't the same world as it is now. You know, but my dad had the internet at, at his job, so he would like print off these articles and stuff from uh, Dave Draper's website or Doctor Squat's website, and you know I would read that stuff obsessively, and uh, just got really into it. Um, I was a football player, um, and it was supposed to be like you're a football player and then you lift weights in the off season, but pretty quickly I became a powerlifter in my own mind. And I played football in the off season. <laughs> um, I was definitely prioritizing my powerlifting and thinking and obsessing over powerlifting, not really football anymore. Uh, so when I got to like the university level, um, I tried out for the football team, uh, didn't didn't make the team, and then immediately joined the powerlifting club and uh, uh, took that over in my second year. Uh, kind of accelerated from there. Where, so, just give a little bit of a framework. Where, where, where did you grow up, and then where did you go to to college? I grew up in Indiana, and uh, went to college at the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. Very cool! What a beautiful spot to go. Yeah, yeah it was fantastic. It's a good place to be from, as they say. <laughs> yeah, and so did, did were you? Did you end up going into the military as well? Yeah, yeah, I was uh, active duty Air Force for five years, and so that's an interesting trajectory too. So, um, throughout my time in college, uh, competed at the collegiate level, uh, went to Junior Worlds a couple times, won Junior Worlds in '06. Uh, so, I knew that like I I was pretty good at this, and I you know wanted to continue on. When I graduated. Um, in 2007, started competing again in 2008. Um, it was the first year that USAPL uh, was at the Arnold Classic. So I got to do the inaugural USAPL powerlifting competition at the Arnold. Wow, that's cool. Um, yeah, it was, it was a good time. It was a really different competition, but it was a hell of a lot of fun. Um, but uh, What do you mean by yeah, it was we, a very different competition? Well, first of all, it was all equipped in those days, but uh, we broke it up by regions. So it was a team competition based on region. So like they had the Midwest region, the West region, the South and Northeast. And, you know, and there was a, uh, there were a lot of like, talented lifters, you know, I mean, you look around and it was like a, a who's who of powerlifting at the time, you know, and I mean, a lot of names have kind of been forgotten over the years, which is a shame, but. Um, I remember like, these were all the guys that I read about in the magazines, you know, and I'm there competing with them. That's so, so cool. Uh, it was, it was awesome. Um, so then we're, uh, we're, you're, you're competing in, oh, you said, oh, six is when you got in one juniors and then, yeah. And what, uh, what and graduated you the next year there? and, you know, started competing again in 08, went to the open world championship in 08, uh, got a silver medal there. Went to the World Games in 09 uh, and won the World Games in 09. Uh, so I'm active duty Air Force. I'm uh, around this time, uh, I guess in 2008, I self-published the, the RTS manual. 
which was kind of a summary of what I had learned about coaching up to that point, which talked about RPE and, and things of that nature as well. And my hope was that uh, I'll maybe maybe make enough money from this that I could cover my travel expenses as I go to all these different competitions. Uh, and uh, it was doing okay. It, you know, I was a, a up-and-coming lifter who was doing well in competition, so um, it was doing all right. Um, but then one day in 2008, uh, somebody emailed me and asked me if I would coach them online, and I didn't even know you could do that. online coaching wasn't really a thing in powerlifting at that point. Uh, Everybody was pretty much self-coached or maybe you happened to live in like one of three cities where there was like a a competent uh, powerlifting coach or something like that. Like for the most part, people were self-coached. So I was like, Hey, you're going to pay me to coach you over the internet. All right. Yeah. I'll I'll figure it out. You know, Um, and that was like right at the beginning of when online coaching exploded and powerlifting. So uh, it was fortunate. I kind of got in at the ground level on that and uh, it quite literally changed my life, you know? So that happened in 08 and I went to like uh, spending all my free time building this business, you know? And uh, in 2012, I decided to get out of the military and uh, do reactive training systems full-time. So I've been doing it full-time since 2012. Um, but, yeah, that's... Congratulations, man. I mean, that's huge. I think not only are you bringing RPE in, but you're also the, the, the guy who's, who's starting the new thing with, with online training. I mean, that's pretty... It's pretty wild. I mean, nowadays, it's, that's all we... I feel like that's, yeah. that's the way that most people are training. It's, it's less and less yeah. in person and more and more online. And you have the the most amount of experience in that space. I'm sure there's other people, but I mean, you're on the ground level. And so what kind of changes have you been able to see from, I mean, just, I guess, understanding Excel to, you know, like the changes of that system into, you know, dealing with people. And it's been vast, you know, like I am glad that I got my initial coaching experience. I had like, three years of coaching uh, my collegiate team uh, in person. Uh, so that was, it was nice to have that early on. Um, it was really important from a communication standpoint, but yeah, man, the online scene has changed dramatically. You know, it's gone from, uh, I mean, there's a, a lot of stuff is easy to see. You know, we used to um, email programs and communication was primarily email based some people were writing in Excel. Uh, lots of people were just writing it on in an email or in a Word doc or something like that and just trading back and forth. I mean, Google Docs has changed that considerably. So even people that still prefer things like spreadsheets can use a shared sheet now, um, which simplifies things so much. Communication is a lot faster, a lot lower friction. Uh, the sharing of videos has changed dramatically. I mean, in 08, it was just not that easy. You know, you would, phone cameras sucked, so you needed a dedicated camera for it, and then you would have to put it on your computer in some way. Uh, I still have a lot of my training videos from that time frame on our YouTube channel. Like, you have to scroll way back, but they're still there. And they're all like, they're all like a minute and 30 seconds long, 
because they're completely untrimmed, right? Because <laughs> trimming videos was a pain in the ass. I was like, yeah, I'm just not doing that. Yeah, you know? so, That's fun. Yeah. It, it's just... It, the the user experience is so vastly different, you know. Now things like apps and stuff like that are are proliferating more and more, and uh, you know, so like the technology thing is is a big big difference. But uh, I would say even like our ability to collect data and do something with the data is much better. Um, our ability, even just like the interpersonal skills of like what it takes to to communicate online uh, is better. You know, you have tools like Loom, uh, which help with uh, um, making communications more personal. Uh, and now we're at the point where, you know, it is been like from a coaching standpoint, we do see a benefit to doing like synchronous meetings with clients still. So we'll try to grab time on a calendar and, and actually have a, a video call at various intervals. So that's still beneficial, but for a lot of people, that's a significant scheduling obstacle. So having something that allows you to get a conversational feel in a asynchronous way has been another, like just leveling up of uh, the online coaching experience. So anyway, I kind of ramble on and on about (laughs) I mean, that, that's, that, that, that's really what I want to know. I mean, that's, that's kind of the idea. I think what you, I mean, you've been able to see all of it from like, from, from kind of the changes and so many changes and, and yeah. being someone who has just, and not really just started, but, um, who has more, who, who has seen the, from, I guess from college and having clients from, from there and then until now and just the way that powerlifting has changed, even within the last three, four, five years has been, insane and so someone who's yeah. been in it for so long can see so many changes and also to to take a bet on yourself from that early on not knowing where that powerlifting was going to grow to this point is insane you know like yeah wh- like why why did you choose to go all in on this sport that seems so niche yeah well <laughs> i ask myself that question sometimes <laughs> but I, I think to be totally honest about it there's a bit of, uh, you don't know what you don't know. So there's, there can be a bit of hubris about it. Uh, but I, there was also a lot of hand wringing in that time frame. Like I remember going over the numbers and over the numbers and over the numbers. And like, can I really do this? Like, is this really a, a possibility? It's like at the time, especially, uh, I forget what our rates were and, and things like that, but it's like, well, if I could just get 40 or 50 people to, to be willing to work with me, 40 or 50 people out of the 8 billion in the world, you know, <laughs> only need 40 or 50, uh, then I think I can make it work. Um, but of course, I mean, that's, it's a pretty naive viewpoint of how things actually go, you know? <laughs> So, so how, how long did it take you to get 40 or 50? Not long, not long at all. Um, really? I had already been coaching quite a bit at, at that point, you know, so like ramping things up didn't, didn't take a long time. Um, so I started doing it full time in 2012 and I want to say by 2014, we were hiring, uh, hiring additional coaching staff. Wow. And we've kind of been on that trajectory ever since. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like it's been 
uh, all sunshine and rainbows. Like never is to, to be totally frank, like the last couple years, like pandemic timeframe, uh, sucked a lot, but I'm really proud of the fact that we were able to, um, keep almost all of our staff, um, we didn't lose anybody strictly due to the pandemic. I was able to continue paying everybody the same, like nobody else had to take any pay cuts or anything like That's that. Huge. So that was, I'm really proud of being able to support our staff that way. That was really important to me. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's, that's, that's massive to be able to, to have enough to be able to do that long-term, you know, like you guys have, you've created a system that is, that can survive. You know, well, uh, I mean, there's so much kind of dumb luck here. <laughs> like, we did build up a, a decent, a decent cash reserve and that was instrumental. And I would like to act like that was just like some brilliant pre-planning. It was a little bit of pre-planning, but like now sitting on this side of how things went, I think like in the future, there will be a hell of a lot more planning <laughs> that goes into stuff like that. You know, again, it's just, you don't know what you don't know. I, I thought I was doing an adequate job and like, it just so happens to have worked out. And like, I can look at it now and go, Ooh, that was close. So uh, I'm glad that it did work out, but you know, we'll be uh, doing, doing more thorough homework on business related stuff like that in the future. So you have, you know, 40, 50 clients at the, at the very beginning. Now you guys, yeah. I, I don't know how many you guys, I think I saw on the website, like 250 plus or something. Am I, am, I, am I wrong? It depends on how you're counting clients, but in terms of like our one-on-one clients is not, not 200, but uh, okay. over a hundred, less than 200, I'll say. Okay. Um, and so the time that it takes, I, I yeah. have two or three clients that are online clients right now that I feel like I'm like the amount of time that you give each of these individuals is, is so much. How can you manage all of those people? Well, I don't. So, um, I don't have to do everybody. Um, each coach has, I would say 40 is kind of a, we don't have a hard cap, like a, a, like a company-wide hard cap on the number of people we, we want to. We do monitor uh, things like retention, as that's going to be an indicator of people's or, or if they don't have good retention, then that's an indicator that clients aren't happy. Um, so we monitor that. But as long as the retention is good, you know, if they say, hey, I'd like to take on, you know, more than 40, then that's great. But, you know, we kind of consider somewhere between 35 and 40 to be like a full-time coaching load. Uh, But you're right. It's pretty time consuming. And like something I've, I've said before is like, I think of kind of what we do is uh, artisanal coaching is if I was strictly interested in the economics of it, I would, we could be a lot more efficient than we are. You know, we could, uh, in my mind, it would be cutting corners. You would lose a little bit of quality in the training process, but maybe not enough for most people to notice. Like some people would notice and they, those, you know, you would 
generally consider not good fit clients anymore and you know you you move on but you take that time savings and reinvest it and so like that's the strictly business uh, approach that you would take but that's not what we do you know we do invest that time and uh, we kind of can't help but it, can't help but do this you know um, just to kind of give an example uh, we used to have a uh, kind of a mid-tier coaching package that was supposed to be, uh, you know, somewhat reduced contact with the coaches, somewhat reduced uh, features in coaching. Uh, and then like our top end coaching was like, hey, this is the very best we can do online. What we were finding is that we were treating our mid-tier clients more like they were top tier uh, clients just because we kind of couldn't help it. You know, like if you have a, a mid-tier client that emails you and is like, Hey, I've, uh, I've injured myself. I can't look at that and go, well, you got two more weeks until your check-in. <laughs> like I can't do that. You know? So we ended up getting rid of that mid-tier, uh, product altogether because we're like, we're just not doing what we're, what we're actually delivering is the top tier. So let's just focus on that. And so we did that and that was uh, a good decision. There's another one that you don't know if it's a good or bad decision in the beginning, uh, but it, that one worked out and that's, uh, that's been a good choice. You've, you've taken a lot of, uh, put a lot of trust in yourself to, to make moves and, and to create products and you can only find out if they're going to work or not after the fact. Right. But then the, right. you, get, you get to learn a little bit more about yourself and you get to learn about, about you know this the standard you guys are willing to to accept and you really yeah. love it man like it, obviously you you really gotta love it to be able to to do it and then how do you guys keep your your prices so affordable well i think that's just kind of where the market is at right now you know what we actually hear that um it's too much for some people like especially people at the junior level and stuff like that that um it, it can be on the high end for them. I mean, I, I do hear about uh, people who charge more than what we're charging, but you start to affect the, the kind of people that can afford the service to begin with. Um, I mean, I suppose that's, that's kind of always the case, you know, there are like currently it's uh, $220 a month for our all access package. Um, and there are people that can't afford that, you know, quality athletes that, you know, just committed athletes that uh, just can't swing it. Um, and fair enough, you know, but that's why we want to do things like uh, junior discounts and or, or we we don't just want to do it. We do uh, junior discounts and stuff like that because we know that it's hard for for people at that stage to afford it. But, you know, there's you know, benefits to having a long-term relationship with a coach benefits for both, you know, benefits for the, the coach and the athlete. And so how do you, what, what does reactive training systems program look like? I, I've always been interested to see other people's Excel sheets and yeah. what, what is like, what is a high tier athlete getting from reactive training systems? Well, let's see. So, well, first of all, we over the years we've developed uh, an online system, um, so a good portion of that is free for anybody to use. So you can go to reactivetrainingsystems.com 
and you log in uh, and click on apps and you're, you'll find yourself looking at a web app that's free for anybody to use. You can log your training uh, and it'll run analysis on that training for you. It'll help you figure out like target weights for the day. You can run reports on your training uh, and it'll help you individualize the, the training that you're doing. Um, my goal with the, the training log has always been help athletes make better decisions. It's not just a place to, to write it down and forget it. Uh, it's not just a, an electronic diary. Um, it's a decision-making tool. So uh, we've developed that for years and years and put a lot of effort into that. Uh, so all of our clients also use it. I use it personally to log my training. Um, so that's, that's common uh, among, among all RTS athletes. From there, we have kind of a core, what I would say are like our best practices, but it's important to highlight too, like each coach is a little bit different and each coach is also free to go outside of these kind of normal practices uh, for special cases and stuff like that. To give you an example, we have a set of tools that we've built uh, that's ac- accessible to people through the training lab. There's a different service that we that we offer. Uh, so RTS coaches and training lab members uh, get access to a coaching dashboard and a program builder and a program library that we built and a number of other things. Uh, but we use the program builder to write training for our athletes and we deploy it through this online system. So we'll write the training uh, and then say you're an athlete, you know, you can log in, you can look at your calendar, all your workouts will be there. Uh, it, the system will generate your target loads based on uh, prior training. Um, so it, it just kind of gives you a, a good jump start into uh, your planned workout for that day. It gives you a jump start into your logging for that day too. Like logging training is a tedious thing for a lot of athletes. So if we can reduce the, the amount of data entry that you've got to do, all the better. You know, it makes logging compliance go up. It gives us better information. Um, so um, that's definitely something that we're interested in that we want to do. So for the most part, we use those tools to, to develop the training for our athletes and to deliver the training. Um, but if I have a client and I just for whatever reason – the online system doesn't have some feature that, um, you know, maybe I don't use it often, but for some reason, this one particular client needs it. Um, then I could, I'm as an RTS coach, I'm still free to, to write that up in an Excel document or whatever and, and deliver training a different way if that's the most appropriate thing. It's definitely uh, athlete-centric training. And... Um, yeah, so that's kind of the the training like development delivery process, uh, but then coach communication varies a bit more. Some coaches prefer things like email. Uh, I prefer I I personally use a lot of like Facebook Messenger, uh, but it's kind of up to the up to the coach and the athlete like what works well for them as a pair, and um, you know they kind of proceed with their communication on like whatever platform is going to work best. Uh, so we'll do that. Um, I'm reviewing training and I'll send loom videos back. If, uh, there's something that, you know, we kind of need to, 
I need the athlete to like look over my shoulder and kind of see what I'm seeing, then that's a good tool to use. Uh, but, you know, we're kind of going back and forth. I'm delivering the plan, the athlete's executing that plan, logging the training, giving me feedback. You know, I'm responding to that feedback, and it just kind of becomes this uh, this development cycle um, where we're zeroing in on uh, the most optimal training for that particular athlete. So if, as a... As a coach, and as yeah, since you, you created this this plan, I'm, I'm pretty much walking with you in my brain in my pocket. If I'm using this app, right? Like you, you've created this idea, this structure that that doesn't really require you to have to be there, which is awesome for me and awesome for you. So then, what is the role of the coach? How, how do you see the, the the role of the coach? There's so much that the coach is doing and responsible for. Um, first of all, there's the development of the plan. There's the uh, analysis of the data that's coming back. Uh, and then there's also like all the athlete support. You know, we, we view coaching as three things, leadership, relationship, and creativity. Uh, so the creativity piece comes in the form of like creative problem solving. Um, I kind of view most of the program writing process and um, the nuts and bolts of coaching to kind of fall under that heading of creativity. But you really need all three pillars uh, to have a a workable athlete-centric coaching model. If you don't have a foundational relationship with the athlete, then why should they listen to you? I mean, it can be, I'm not saying like we need to be like best buddies or anything, but I do need to know a bit about you. You need to know a bit about me. Now, there's always a start for that in kind of the online setting because the client had to, to hire me, you know, so they had to know something about who I am or there had to be something that influenced that decision. So from there, it's my responsibility to build on that, you know. So early on in the coach-athlete relationship especially, we'll have uh, some uh, some meetings kind of centered around the development of relationship. So you understand a bit more about what I'm about, but I want to understand what you're about too. Like I want to understand like what the athlete's goals are, what their, what their aspirations are, not just athletically either, but just big picture, you know, like, Hey, you're powerlifting. Let's say you're a collegiate powerlifter, but you're also planning to go to med school. Like, well, that'll, that might not affect like how we train your squat next month. But that's also important for me to know in terms of just big picture athlete development sort of things. What tools should I should I be bringing to the table? Like maybe we need to start talking about flexible templates or uh, more adaptive tools that we can um, that we can bring in. Or um, maybe it would affect some decisions that I might make on whether or not to push volume higher. You know. Um, Stuff like that definitely matters, and and it helps too. Like right, like it helps me to relate to the the athlete, but it helps them to to know that I'm interested and that I care about their uh, their progress as well. Like that's you know kind of the relationship foundation, but that won't matter at all unless I'm also providing some leadership, uh, which is in my mind. Whenever there's a question asked about strength training online, especially, uh, 
it's kind of a, a joke in the industry that the answer is always it depends. But the, the, the thing is, it always depends on something. And there's almost always an answer. And within the specific context of this athlete, there's an answer. And that should be, you know, guided by the coach. So, so like, the question of should I move up a weight class or not? Well, like, we're, you're talking to one athlete who, if you know them, you know what their aspirations are, you know what other considerations they have uh, and things like that. You can do a whole lot better than, you know, the vagaries. You know, you can provide some actual leadership, some actual guidance, some actual uh, nudges in the right direction, you know. Uh, that's you, have, a, a, you have the data, right? Now you you, yeah. you know the athlete, you have the data. Now it's just made, it's, it depends on the thing in front of you and you know the thing in front of you. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, it, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's exactly it, you know? And I think that that's probably the biggest value as a coach is, you know, there's no place to get wisdom really except through experience uh, an experience of yourself or experience of others, you know, and that's a big part of what the coach is supposed to provide is uh, the coach is supposed to be on the lookout for things that the athlete can't see from their vantage point, you know, and, and kind of relay that stuff so that appropriate decisions can get made. It's huge. So um, that's the, the leadership component, but you can't have, quality leadership if it's not built on a foundation of a quality relationship. And I mean, to that end, you know, the creative problem solving piece is kind of where myself and, and a lot of people like to focus because that's kind of, I don't know, I'm a programming nerd, so I, I like that stuff, you know, but, you know, I've got to admit that that doesn't matter very much if it's not built on a solid relationship. I'm not going to be effective in my program writing if I don't know the specifics of the person that I'm writing for, uh, they're not going to respect the program if they don't understand it, if they don't feel like it's written for them. Uh, you know, if you know, I'm going to conceivably ask them to do some hard things and some things that maybe they don't really want to do. So why should they? You know, well, I mean, it's your name, your position as a coach only takes you so far, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to give them a reason to believe. And especially in the beginning, you know, that's going to be built on the, the relationship. And hopefully later on, it can be leaned on through like a track record of results, but everybody goes through hard times. You know, everybody deals with, with doubt, with, you could take an athlete who's, had nothing but like nonstop PRs for a year and then they get, they get a significant injury and it's very easy for that trust to go out the window. So I think of that a lot, you know, like I'm by nature, not a super trusting person, especially when it comes to like my own training. That's a big reason why I've been self-coached all the, all these years is because I just, I like to tinker with it. I don't really trust anybody. <laughs> to tinker with it in the way that I, that I would. So I, I'll just handle it myself. I like that anyway, you know, but I think about like how quickly 
would my trust in a coach erode if I felt like eh, they're not paying attention? You know, they're not thinking about this thing that I told them last week, you know, and maybe it's fair, maybe it's not fair, but that's just the way that it is. And I mean, I, I try to imagine that my clients are at least like, the, I, I want to give them credit for taking their training as seriously as I take my training. So I try to treat it in a similar way. Anyway, I'm monologuing about no, that. It's so like, it's free. like, like Mike, I've been, I've been telling you, I hate Bulgarian split squats and they hurt my back when I do them. And you're like, nah, I'm just going to, you know, like you keep them in there. And then by week four, they're the, the level of trust is almost gone. Like they're like, obviously he's not paying attention. So then what if I just cut a couple sets or reps here and there? Like he's not going to know. And then months down the road, they're not able to hit the the numbers that you expected to hit because they've cut so many reps out. But ultimately it's because you didn't listen to what they were saying about a specific movement. And it it could have been something that was talked about, communicated, and then, you know, changed. It's like, there's other variations we can do for what we're trying to get out of here. Let me go ahead and make those alterations to your program. And then you feel more comfortable. You feel happier. You still have that relationship of, of trust so that in several months, I want like I want you to succeed, and you want to succeed. So then, how are we going to make this work together? Um, yeah. It, it I it's it seems so um, like simple. Like I think people make it more complicated than it should be. But it's obviously I think relationships can be tough depending on the the relationship, right? Um, so are both people willing to work towards the same thing? Yeah. Well, I mean, I strive to. I don't always meet this goal, but I would like to make it so that a client doesn't have to tell me something twice. You know, if it's like, Hey, I can't, I can't do good mornings or, uh, I don't have this piece of equipment. Then I want to capture that and never forget it. You know, I don't want to, you know, accidentally, you know, uh, oh, in the next block, I forgot that they said that they don't they don't like good mornings or something along those lines. So, so they show up and they're like, "Oh, hey, remember we talked about this?" Like, I don't want yeah. that. So, yeah. it's that's a really high bar, but through systems, I think we can get closer and closer to achieving that. But it's it's a difficult thing to do. And the other thing is, is your- like, you do have to. sometimes there's a a tough it out component, you know, and I'm, I think I'm sure you know this and that it's probably obvious to most people listening, but I I had a client uh, somewhat recently who um, was asking me to, for like an increase in frequency. Like I wanted to move from uh, four days a week to a five day a week uh, training structure. And it just wasn't working out with the, the objectives that I had in the next development block, you know? So, I mean, the thing to do there is not to ignore it, you know, and and what I did was, uh, you know, I talked to her about it. I said, uh, you know, I understand that that's the direction you want to go in. We'll be able to do that maybe in two blocks, but in this next block, because of the training objectives, I need you to train in this way. And and I know that's not ideal, but this is what we need to support the goals, you know? And, Athletes care about progress primarily, you know, uh, it depends a little bit on how much of an athlete we're talking about, but by and large, if you tell somebody, Hey, I need you to do this, 
it's for a relatively short amount of time and it's important for your progress, then, you know, they'll suck it up and do what you, what you're asking them to do. But, you know, that's, that's a big thing about coaching, like something that I guess probably should have been obvious, but has changed over the years is the, I think the industry as a whole is a lot better about stuff like that. You know, like before, I mean, I've, I've heard some terrible stories and I'm sure, you know, terrible coaches still exist, but like I used to hear stories about people who would uh, get a program from a coach who would tell them to do, you know, whatever on the bench, they would try that workout and miss reps, like several report that back to the coach. They get their program for the next week. The weights are even heavier. Yeah. And they're kind of like, what the heck, man? You know, um, it goes back to that, that feeling like you're not being paid attention to sort of thing. I haven't heard as many stories like that in recent years. And I hope that just means that they're a lot less common than they used to be. I, th- I think that they are. I think that, you know, you can survive when you have people who are like you or, you know, you have the strength guys, or you have all these different companies that are, that are huge in the, in the space. You can't, you can't survive if you're providing a lesser quality product. I, I really don't think so. Um, and if you are, then it only, you know, it can, it can only last for so long. Yeah. I hope, I hope. Well, it's, it's still like, it, despite all the growth, it's still a small community. It's still uh, word of mouth is huge in this community. And yeah, I mean, that's something to pay attention to. It, I think it's a really, really important thing, you know, providing a good service is vital to your long-term prospects. What is it like training some of like the best powerlifters ever? I mean, you, you, you've trained well record all like you're, you're in that, that upper echelon of individuals. What is it like training, mm-hmm. like being in that space? What, what is it like being there, Mike? Sometimes is really, really cool. And it's, there's always a lot of pressure. There's a couple of stories that come to mind. I can tell you like one is uh, uh, Dennis Cornelius is a guy that probably needs no introduction. He's <laughs> the, up to now, at least is like the greatest 120 kilo powerlifter of all time. Yeah. Um, just incredibly dominant in his, in his era as well. So uh, I, you know, had met Dennis, talked to Dennis uh, several times and, you know, he would kind of hint at, you know, wanting me to coach him. Um, but that's, that was a thing that I never like really pursued, you know, is like, well, if he, if he wants that, then that's cool. But like, I was reluctant to like push him toward it, you know, cause like, I know what, what's, what I would be signing up for at the time. Right. But you've got a guy who's like winning world championships by like 50 or hundred kilos. Like he's super <laughs> dominant. Right? And you look at that and you go, how much better can you make somebody like that? You know, like hopefully some, because otherwise I shouldn't take that job at all. Uh, but there are so many more ways for it to go wrong than there are for it to go right. It's a, it's a tight needle to thread. So when he finally did, uh, you know, he's like, all right, let's do this. Um, I did feel a little bit like the the dog that caught the car. Like, okay, now what? (laughs) 
but it worked out really cool. I mean, one advantage that you've got in a situation like that is that nobody gets to that level quickly and easily. Uh, so they've got uh, a good history. They have a good idea of, you know, what works well for them. Um, so it's a good starting place. So we started from there and, you know, we did some development blocks and tweaks and things. And he did set some PRs. Uh, and I, He set some PRs while we were working together. I don't remember offhand if he exceeded those after we, after we stopped or not, but, um, you know, it's also, um, interesting that I would say probably the, uh, the kinds of clients that are the least disciplined about things like logging workouts and providing feedback to coaches are like the, the really top end lifters. Like I've had more lifters at that level who are just like, you know, they're like a black hole. Like you just send training in and nothing ever comes back out. <laughs> I've had more people at that level that are like that than, than the other way. Um, but That's interesting. Yeah. An interesting character trait to be a, yeah. a consistency between the high, high upper echelon individuals. Yeah. It's, uh, I think, I think it's just that people get busy. I don't know. Maybe I'm giving them too many excuses because there's a lot of busy people that are just not, maybe not at that level, but uh, they're more rebellious, I guess. They're they're more, I don't know, to themselves. It's nice to see, like have athletes who are experienced because they do have, they have more time being introspective and they have more time yeah. understanding what you know what movements do and don't work for them. Uh, sure. So you 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 kind of get this this beautiful, um, this like standard of communication that that is already existent or the standard of, of data and information that you really didn't have to sift through right versus a novice yeah. athlete that you kind of had to like throw all these sorts of things at them and figure out oh no that doesn't work oh no you know it continued like retract and add and it's like I, figuring out a novice athlete i feel like is is usually more difficult than having an athlete who is more experienced because once they see a decline in performance they're gonna be the first ones to say hey this isn't working or when they notice something in the program, they're going to be the first ones to say, I've done this before. I don't like it. It doesn't feel good. Um, right. it, I mean, it, it's both more complicated because the, that needle is so, is so um, thin, but at the same time, I mean, you, you have, it's so thin because there's been so much more work behind the scenes. So it's kind of, yeah. it's kind of a cool little duality. Um, what is the difference? Like we oh, go for it. So sorry, go for it. I was going to, just mention to you real quick that uh, you know who did probably the best job of that uh, of anybody I've ever coached was uh, Isabella von Weissenberg. Um, the quality feedback that I would get from her was just, I wish I could bottle that and just give it to everybody because it was so good. You know, like we would do like these end of block reviews and it, I don't even know if she knew she was doing it exactly, but I would just like read the block review and know exactly what I wanted to do in the next block. Like there wasn't a whole lot of data analysis. There wasn't like, I spend a lot of time writing programs, but it's not the clicky clack typing that takes a long time. It's I'm looking at, I'm staring at the, 
some block reviews and trying to decide between two different movements. It could be this, it could be that, what rep ranges, you know, and like, I do like to get the details right. So I'll, I'm fine spending the time kind of agonizing over that stuff, but that was just not a problem when writing Isabella's training. Cause I would just read those block reviews or, or we'd have a conversation about it. And she would talk to me about like what she was feeling, you know, Hey, when I'm bench pressing, I feel like things would be better if I could just do this a little bit more, or if I, I'm, I'm not pushing in that direction as much as I would like. And I would just, okay, we need to do this development exercise. And I'd like to spend a little bit more time on these preparatory exercises and, given where we've been, we'll probably select this rep range. I mean, it just was effortless programming and it was working really great too. So, um, yeah, that was kind of the opposite sort of high level athlete to work with who was, uh, very introspective, very thoughtful, uh, and just really committed to getting all that stuff right. You know, Again, I, I wish I could get everybody. I wish I could teach people how to do that because it's really phenomenal. I'm sure that there has to be some sort of like education that you could have for people, like or, or like create a system that yeah. you know it's it's a it, it's an input, right? And so you just what do you feel during this position of your bench? What do you feel during this position, like in the middle, yeah. top half, the bottom half? Like, do you, where do you feel unstable, if at all? I'm sure that you could that there's some sort of like data sheet but at the same time then you have then you're forcing that athlete to have more data they have to enter right which is well i mean even even then there's a a bit of an art to knowing like what's important here you know like if you felt unstable at the bottom of your squat is that you know just a weird thing from the session that will go away or is that something that needs to be addressed you know, um, it, there's a, a skill to knowing like what's, what's worth, uh, focusing on and, and what's not. So I think asking the right questions is huge, but even beyond that, getting people to understand what it is that you're asking or pay attention at the, the level that you're asking them to pay attention is it, it's hard to get that right. You know? I have a friend of mine who calls it uh, training intelligence. You know, the, there's just a, a knack really that comes along with, usually it comes along with like having some training time, but like Isabella has, she's not like a master's lifter or anything like that. Like she's still a, a young woman and um, will have her experience uh, contrasted with uh, um you know, other lifters who've been doing this for 20 plus years and it's, they're still just a, a bro, you know, they're just doing the thing because you told them to do the thing and they're not, they're trying not to think about it too much. So I don't know. I, that's a, a thing that I haven't quite been able to figure that one out. Humans are so variable that it's hard to figure out. I don't know if you yeah. could, right? I mean, it seems right. like it would be nice to bottle up, but at the same time, it makes you appreciate that person and then makes you Absolutely, kind of helps yeah. you understand how to train this other person. Right. And so or right. Like, when, and when you get this one, cause you're going to get more of these, then how can you communicate something or, or, and then because everyone is so unique, it's, it's a constant moving target. Yeah. 
and it's got to be fun at, at times, but it's also got to be a little stressful. It's like, I just need you to talk to me. What's going right. on here? You know, but at the same time, it's, it's, it is, you know, the more that you're around it, the more that you see it and the more that they're reacting in a specific way, you're like, okay, I've seen this before. I, I, I get right. it. I know, I know what's going to happen next. Um, right. And let me like either send send some some signals out and say, oh yeah, we're hitting the right spots, or okay, we're not. This is going to take me this direction. Yeah. How do you feel about gear versus raw and the transition? I guess out of I guess the world of gear. Yeah. I kind of think of those two different sports. Um, I jumped on raw pretty much immediately after it became a thing. Um, so that was 2010, um, raw was picking up steam in the U S and, um, I think 2011, 10 or 11 was the first, uh, USAPL raw nationals. This was also the time frame that raw unity meets were a big deal, uh, in Florida. Uh, there was the, there were a few federations that were really focused on raw lifting and, um, some promoters who were making some big promises about raw lifting as well. Uh, so after I won the world games in 2009, uh, I knew immediately that I wanted to focus on this, uh, this raw thing. Um, that was, that was really the kind of lifting that I cared the most about. Like even when I was competing equipped, I always cared about my raw lifts. I always trained my raw lifts, you know, I mean, most equipped lifters do train, like most of their training is raw and most of it is, you know, will include at least some specific training for raw lifting. That didn't used to be the case. It's much more the case now. Um, Either way, um, when raw lifting kind of became a thing, I jumped on that quickly from an athletic standpoint. And then in 2012, uh, the IPF got on board and, and started hosting initially it's the raw world cup, but we all knew what that was. You know, it's the first raw world championship. You weren't, we weren't fooling anybody. Um, so I was there for that one. I was there, you know, every year, uh, from 2012 to 2015. Um, now, I mean, I would initially, I I think I was just kind of burned out on, equipped powerlifting. Um, I remember this would have been, oh gosh, 2011, maybe give or take a little bit. Uh, I had a a friend of mine who uh, asked me if I would go to the NAPF championship, which was an equipped competition. Uh, And he said, you know, he'd consider it a personal favor if I would sign up for that team. And I thought about it. And honestly, just the thought of these long, grueling equipped sessions, you know, wiggling myself into the squat suit by myself in the garage. Um, I just got a little sick to my stomach thinking about it and I, I couldn't do it. Damn. So I stuck with raw lifting for a while and, um, um, yeah, eventually later that feeling kind of went away and I've dabbled with equipped here and there in the time since I was going to do, uh, an equipped nationals, um, some, some years back, I think 2016 ish, uh, but ended up having a family emergency and couldn't do it, but, um, intended to. So I, I 
I guess my love for the equipped side of the sport has definitely come back. I coach some equipped lifters and stuff like that, but I largely consider them to be different, like competitive outlets, you know? They are definitely, they're, they're almost entirely different sports. And I think that I like to look at it as like judo, you have, or, or, or jujitsu, you have gi and you have non gi. And yeah. there, there's some sort of love for the, the, the gi, right? So there's a tradition to it that's a skill that opens up lots of different technique. And I think that is the geared lifting. It makes me a little bit weird, feel a little bit weird seeing gear almost leave the space entirely. And raw is, is seems like it's taking over everybody. And so I'm interested in getting back into the sport, but then with it being fractured now, we have PA and USAPL. And then it, what looks like, like gear versus gear is dying. It's like, well, where do I go? What do I do? Like, if I want to be competitive and, PA is so difficult to to find because it's just it's a newer federation and they don't have as many meets like as some as somebody who's I guess in the sport for some sort of time I can't imagine for somebody who's new in the sport trying to figure out okay where do I go like I want to be the best in the world but then at the same time USAPL is right there like what do I do and and I don't know how to I don't know really how to make that decision it seems like it's so much more complicated than it needed to be um, but we're here now, so yeah. we got to make some decisions. And so how does somebody make the decision to go one way or the other? Man, what a mess the federations have made. It's the worst. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, yeah I, me too. Me too. Like vehemently. And I hate it more every interaction that I have with any of them, <laughs> to be honest. And I, I mean, I have no equivocation about saying that either, that it's uh it's it's an unpleasant experience at every single turn, you know, yeah. whether it's, uh, uh, I don't know, it, every time I have to interact with a federation, it reminds me of how much I don't want to interact with federations. And, and just, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it's a bureaucracy. I know the people that populate them. They're good people. They're they're people I would consider, you know, acquaintances and, and in a lot of cases friends. It doesn't matter though because they're it, it, the bureaucracy kind of takes on a life of its own, and it seeks to support itself. It's not regardless of what any federation says about their you know supporting. We're here for the lifters. I, I just don't believe it. You know, I've <laughs> been around for a minute and it seems to me that from what I've seen from being involved in the sport, like in an official way since 2003, seems like the federations, all of them are here primarily to for in, in their own best interests. And I don't say that not necessarily to fault them. It's just. It's just the nature of bureaucracies to some extent. Some do a better job than others, but they're all kind of on that spectrum. And I think as long as you keep that in mind, that none of them, they're only, they're useful to lifters. I I don't think that we should um, personify them too much. You know, it's an organization it's useful to the lifters as long as our interests are aligned 
And at the point where our interests are no longer aligned and they're no longer useful to us and we need to move in a different direction. That's the unfortunate reality of where I find myself at this moment. Uh, And I say that with a a significant amount of bitterness because I wish that it wasn't that way. And I can see that it didn't have to be this way. It just kind of ended up that way. And I mean, we can quibble and point fingers and it's this person's fault. It's that person's fault. And I mean, I'm just not that interested in that. I'm sure some of that's true and some of it's not. It, it, It doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, I'm a, a powerlifter and a coach, and that's what I'm here to do. Um, I will say that I've, how should I put this? I have been pleasantly uh, surprised by the responses that I've gotten from the the USAPL national office in particular uh, when you know, I've told them about various decisions that I needed to make in order to, again, pursuit of my own interests in terms of coaching my athletes and, you know, supporting my employees and things like that. Okay, we're going to do this thing. We're going to do that thing. And they have understood and not made things worse. And that's, to be fair, that's the most that I can hope for, the most I will hope for with interaction from a federation. The rest is fine. I can deal with the rest, but it's the actively trying to make things worse or apparently trying to make things worse. That really gets under my skin. You know, I mean, you want to talk about bench rules <laughs> Talk about that. I, I don't see how that serves the lifter at all. I do want to talk about ventral because that's pretty upsetting. I, I don't, it doesn't, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think it benefits the bed, the lifter at all. I mean, it it's, doesn't. It, but I mean, why? Even why? Even if you think that small range of motion benches are a serious problem that needs to be addressed, look, I'm open to that being a thing. If you think that the way that this rule was developed and implemented is objectively horribly bad. <laughs> You know, like there's no other way that I can say that. Like, how else can you think that like the development of this rule publication on the Internet and then just going silent about it for months while the rest of the powerlifting world that's affected by this is pulling their hair out going, what does this even mean? Like in in vocal ways and just being silent about it. Like that's pretty great. How? Do you think that's a good plan? You know, and then when there finally is some clarification, it's through unofficial channels from some athletes who happen to be at uh, a coaching certification course and ask the right questions and then are savvy enough to record the responses and, and post them on the Internet, which was at least some clarification. But to be to be totally fair, not that much. There was still a lot of confusion you know, and then we go even further into the future. Like it's into the first of the year, this rule is supposed to be taking effect. And there's so little clarification that you see countries implementing the rule differently, like in some pretty obviously different ways. And you <laughs> go, wait a minute, you know, and I guess eventually there is some sort of clarification that comes out, but like it's months and months into the future. You know, and like, 
in the meantime, you tell me that, uh, uh, you know, you're not allowed to associate with uh, people who, you know, uh, are members of a different federation or you're not allowed to, uh, um, what is it? Yeah. You can't even, can't even be at the competition. Yeah. Uh, You can't coach people at a different competition. Even if you're not a member, Uh, you can't, um, you know, like, look guys, if you, if you want to exert that kind of control over my business and my, honestly, my private dealings, then (laughs) at least be a professional about how you're conducting your own organization. And I would say this latest, uh, implementation was a a stellar example of how to do that badly. And uh, I don't mind saying it because at this point, look, if you're, if you're that pissed about it, then there's other places for me to lift. And if that's the way it has to be, then that's the way it has to be. I'm very thankful for the fact that you're able to be so candid about it. And I, I, cause it's hard to get anybody to feel talk about it until I think a lot of times it's after the, the recording ends that we're talking and they're like, you know, th- then they'll speak their mind, but it's like, I, I, but I don't like, even then it's still so vague. Like it's like, but we can have, yeah. like, it's okay to have an opinion. Like it's, it's okay. Like, but at the same time, well, I don't know what's going to come. Like maybe they know more than I do what those repercussions are going to be, but I mean, what can they really be? I mean, they, it depends on, uh, I think it I think probably depends on the person and where they're at and the, the, the federations that they live for, to be honest. So, I mean, I don't, there could be repercussions, I suppose. Um, I hear about things from time to time uh, in different federations and they're, uh, social media policies and things that, you know, that they get upset when certain people talk about things in certain ways. But I don't know. I had a, I had a friend of mine who he was an older guy. Uh, and I remember this was some years back and he was telling me that, you know, as he got older, uh, his willingness to, to give a shit what other people said and thought <laughs> just decreased. And I I wouldn't say I'm like too far down that road, but I do kind of feel that way a little bit. Like, look, guys, if you're running your show like this, then sooner or later, like, look, I've been doing this a long time. And if you make it hard enough on me, yeah, I would probably, you know, uh, take a break from competing or whatever. But I've done that before, you know, and I've managed to survive it. So, uh, you know, I'll be fine. Um, I'm just... My, I would rather we just committed to doing a better job. That would be great. That would be great. I mean, yeah. <laughs> if we're if we're saying that the thing that we care about the most is you know the lifters and we're doing all this for the lifters, then I mean, show me. Yeah, I mean, you have a good point. If if it really was for the <laughs> lifters, and we wouldn't have made it so difficult for them to find a road. To, to just to participate, to have a community. And I think that's what's mm-hmm. so hard. It's like, I, I, you have these two, like, you, it's, it's awesome that powerless are starting to get paid and you can kind of see like the, the chef fuel kind of growing and, and the payouts out there. But then you have USAPOs kind of doing the same thing. But then why does it have to be so, like, if we're just one team and we really are for the lifter, then it would like 
it would make more sense and have you have more resources if we're just together, right? Like it, it, it seems logical, but yeah, I mean, it, it, they would. Everybody has their reasons, right? And different people are going to point to different things and say that's the reason, and that's fine. And I don't necessarily even want to insist that everybody get along, you know. But if I guess I'm pretty. Uh, I guess this is my Americanness showing or something, but the, like the the non compete stuff really sticks in my craw, like like it does for a lot of American lifters. I get that American lifters tend to be disproportionately affected by non compete sorts of rules, uh-huh. um, but I mean we're affected, and then also like there's a a cultural component too, like we don't like to be forced into. Uh, uh, competing in one fed or another. Although I, you know, I can't imagine that anybody really likes that. Uh, but I think no. there's probably a difference in, you know, willingness to deal with it and, and not. And I mean, we've seen, we've already seen several American lifters say, you know what, <laughs> screw this. I'm, I'll go somewhere else. Um, it, it easier to do when you have other options, which is part of what that non-compete type of rule is supposed to do is supposed to beat down, other options. Um, and you saw this in Australia too, with, uh, when, uh, powerlifting Australia split from the IPF, um, that, uh, I know less about all the details there, but I, I do know from people that they were, you know, that went as far as them being allowed or not allowed to train in certain gyms. Wow. And it's just, I mean, the thing that I care about is powerlifting as a whole, as an entity, you know, and I would like to see that grow. I would like to see that as a community improve. Uh, And I don't think it's helpful uh, to silo everybody out into these like little sub niches that, you know, these sub factions, you know, these people uh, aren't allowed to talk to those people. I'm like, come on, man, that's just silly. Like, can't we just lift weights? (laughs) It is. It seems very petty, and the more that you talk about it, the more it seems like that USAPL really does have at least you know the the accessibility is there. If, if anything else, then it's it's accessible, and it it very much so feels like it's for the athlete. And 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 but at the same time, you know, I've been out of it a little bit, so I mean, again, you'd have, you'd be able to see, speak more on that than me. Um, I. Mean, I- I haven't competed in, well, I did like one local USAPL competition in March of last year um, before, I think it was before PA was really established. Um, Prior to that, I hadn't competed in USAPL. I coached USAPL, but not competed since 2016. So maybe I'm a bit out of the loop too. Uh, If I was going to give advice, it would be this, that, um, Find what's convenient for you. Find what's, you know, um, find what serves you the best and go that route for now and try to leave your options open. So if you're interested in uh, drug-free, drug-tested powerlifting competition uh, and you're interested in competing raw and uh, there's USAPL comps local to you, then I would do that. 
um, if there are USAPL and PA comps local to you, then consider them, you know, and consider what some of the other uh, rules are going to be, what some, what might you be uh, signing up for that's not just the competition. And in this case, I'm speaking specifically about uh, the, the non-compete types of things. Now, there's always debate and confusion around who do these rules apply to? If you're just a local lifter, does this apply to you? Uh, what about if you are going to nationals but not winning national? And honestly, I think if it's as, if it's this confusing at this point in time, then you may as well treat it as if it's done intentionally. You know, it's the same as the bench rules. This has been confusing for a long time, and there's not been any clarification. I can only assume that it's because we we benefit from the confusion in some way. So uh-huh. fine, then I'll I'll assume that I just don't really want to deal with the confusion. <laughs> I'll make my judgments accordingly. If you're a new lifter and you compete in the USAPL for a while and you say, hey, I'm really good at this. I want to go to IPF Worlds. Well, that option is still available to you. Like you have your options open, you know, so I would encourage people to retain those options as long as they can. But I mean, that goes in other directions, too. Like it's not uh, I would say like, another direction that goes into is like tested and non-tested, like retain your your drug free status. Uh, until you're sure that you're sure that you're sure that you want to go untested, you know, if, if that's a thing for people, uh, I've spoken to several people who have kind of ended up on the untested side of the sport and regret it. Um, you know, obviously that's not everybody, but I would just be sure that you're sure that you're sure before you close off certain options, you know, and there's not too much stuff that's like that, but I would say drug status is one. Um, so stay natty and then, um and then the other thing would be uh like what what sort of federation baggage are you signing up for those are that's that's really solid advice i mean that's 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 fantastic um for i mean was the if, if the world games is, is you know i'm looking at the the previous dots and things and, and what my numbers were before i had left i'm like oh man like I could be at least top three, like in the world games for this weight class. I could go back. Was the world games an amazing experience? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a, uh, I don't know. It's, it's hard to put into words, like how cool of an experience it was. Um, definitely. If you've got the opportunity, uh, I would highly recommend, you know, um, to so the year that I went was in 2009 and it was in Kaohsiung city, uh, Taiwan. And, uh, it was fantastic. So first of all, like they had like an arrival team that was at the airport that picked us up from the airport and drove us to a welcome center where they gave us like, I don't even remember what all it was, but it was like tons of stuff. You just start handing you stuff like shirts and banners and, information on the local area and like here's a backpack to put it all in because we're giving you a ton of stuff they gave us like sim cards to put in our phone that were like prepaid so you could call home and just like no all this stuff yeah i mean it was awesome and then they drove us to our hotel um is in taiwan right and lots of people don't speak english so they had translators from the local university who were posted in the lobby 
I want to say it was like 24-7. There was always oh a translator down there who was just – like you just go down there and be like, hey, I want to go to the mall. And they'd call a cab and and have a cab take you to the mall. And they'd like fill out this little card. And they're like, hey, when you want to come back, just give the cab driver this card and they'll drive you back here. It was – you know, just like it was like that level all the way through. Uh, they had, I remember going to like the warm up room. This was days before the competition, like three days before things even kicked off. And they had volunteers who were stationed at the warm up room who were loading plates for athletes. Like I didn't even load my own plates. You know, it was just, it was a phenomenal experience. You know, the, the opening and closing ceremonies were a thing that, shouldn't be missed. Uh, it was a sold out arena. Of, I want to say it was like 3000 people who were, who wow. were watching the event. And then like the closing ceremonies was, I mean, it was a, a giant stadium that they built just for that. That was packed. And, I mean, it was, it was insane in terms of powerlifting. Nothing else even holds like the dimmest candle. You know, it's uh, completely another level. Cool. I mean, that definitely gives me some some guidance on where to go. What time are we at? I can't really see. Uh, ten fifteen. Where I'm at. All right. So I uh, sorry. Like we're at one hour and change. Ten fifteen. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So all right. Well, I won't keep you too long. I I I, yeah. I appreciate the time and I appreciate the the candor and and it was it was nice getting to meet you. Like to at least put yeah. in. I, I I see your name, but it was nice to actually get to know a little bit who who you are. Um, so hopefully this isn't the first time we continue to chat, but um, thanks again for your time. And, and I like to leave you, you have the, the floor for the next remainder time. So you can kind of leave us with whatever little tidbit of knowledge or, or um, you know, whatever, whatever you want to leave us with Mike. I mean, I don't know. I suppose I went in pretty hard on uh, fed politics and stuff, but I've been getting progressively more fed up with that over the last year to two years, really since the USAPL IPF split, uh, it's been getting progressively, um, more and more onerous. So, um, yeah, I, I suppose kind of in light of that, I would just say, uh, not to let stuff like that ruin your experience as much as possible. Keep in mind, you know, what the federations are there for. They're, they're there to, you know, to they're they're there in their own interests, and that's good for you as long as those interests line up. And just be aware of that. You know, be aware that you know they, despite the rhetoric, they're there for their own interests and not necessarily your interests, unless there just so happens to be alignment. Uh, and you know, kind of put yourself uh, in the space where you've got opportunity to succeed, and uh, lean on lean on the wisdom of others, you know, uh, lean on the wisdom of, uh, some old heads who've been around for a while, listen to what they have to say, take it seriously. And, um, you know, of course, at the end of the day, you know, weigh that out, make your own decision. But, uh, um, the more old timers that I talk to, like, I'm not even putting myself necessarily in that, uh, in that situation, but like, I like to talk to people who are around for the the USPF uh, IPF split in 97, you know, that like you can talk to those people and, and they have additional perspective that they can, that they can bring here. And uh, I don't know. I just think it's, it's really interesting uh, to kind of hear those, those thoughts and those perspectives and whatever uh, conclusions you come to, you know, at least you can say that you're well-informed. So 
it's a way to maybe tidy that up without really saying anything (laughs) maybe, but hopefully that's helpful to somebody. Thanks Mike. Hey guys, I wanted to take a moment to say thank you. Your shares, likes, and subscribes, though free for you, are a huge added value to being able to grow this show. As we grow, new opportunities continue to arise. More guests, more episodes, higher frequency, and more people we can give a voice to so we can be educated and give our support to their movement. We are opening up the opportunity for your company to be represented on our show with both ad space and an episode representing who is behind the curtain. You can reach out to me on Instagram if you'd like to get involved and reach a growing and diverse audience. My Instagram handle is B-E-N-N-E-V-A-R-E-S, Ben Nevares. Thank you for your continued support. Love y'all. We'll see y'all soon. Thank you for listening to the Ben Nevados podcast. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, and all other major podcast hosting platforms. Be sure to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. 